You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast, MWR.com. We are sitting into or heading into Manchester City. Winter is close. It's getting cooler in parts of the country as we get, as football gets going because you know how it is, Matt. November is when football starts, apparently, I've been told. But the Mountain West, it's been, um, been going on for a while with all the craziness each and every week. It is. We're very much in the heart of spooky season. Uh-huh. So, uh, so you know, if you, if you want to tie that into to week eight at Mountain West football, a lot at stake, a lot of, uh, you know, who who's next to, to be eliminated from the title chase at this point. Yeah, I didn't. Well, it's still, still time for me to do it, to do kind of uh, the conference, like standings of who's doing what. But right now, it because this, this year, remember, a lot of different teams doing different conferences, changing divisions. No divisions, Mountain West is still in divisions for this year. And it's a lot of one loss teams in the Mountain Division, Mountainside. Got a lot of one loss teams in the West Division side. Mm-hmm. Only one undefeated team in league play in Boise State. So, in league play, I should say. So, it's uh, anybody's game essentially for this week. A loss here or there, That's a win true. here or there can make. Yeah, big, big games again, all the way around in the conference. We do. Since it is midseason, I haven't exactly done this. You put a huge grade system out there, which was 
amazing. People should go read it because you grade every team. You got some input from writers, so those are, I assume those grades are kind of part of what you put in there for like, you know, a team getting a B plus or a D minus. Wasn't it was out there. There's a lot of stuff to go into. So go check that out where you put grades in there. So out of your grades, from what you've heard, we'll start with this for a few minutes before we get into the games. Who was I guess like we can answer both of them, but when you grade it throughout, who like surprised you the most from either responses from our staff or from you kind of going through I'm like, oh, this team kind of surprised more than you thought after kind of looking into it for half the season. Yeah, so you know, I, I sort of put it out to our other writers on the site, mostly because I wanted to make sure I wasn't being too lenient or too harsh. Um, but I think, and I think the one thing that sort of surprised me, um, maybe surprisingly, is uh, Nevada. You know, our, what our our Nevada writer Brandon was, uh, you know, took a very sort of negative take on what the Wolfpack have done to this point in the season. And I think given the current slide that the Wolfpack are experiencing, you know, I think it's it's very easy to sort of fall into that. But you know, it, it ignores that the defense has continued to do some things pretty well. You know, like they're still number one in the conference, for example, in terms of you know takeaways. Um, you know, they've improved their red zone defense from last year. They've and and in terms of some of the metrics that I like to look at, like in terms of uh, points per drive allowed, available yards percentage, and and then also drive yards per opponent's offensive play. Nevada's actually like in the top thirty basically 31st or better by all three of those metrics. And that's despite, you know, an, an offense that is, you know, I think to Brandon's point, been maybe a lot more missed than hit, especially in recent weeks. Yeah. And, and I think, I think it also sort quick. of ignores that, you know, special teams was, was doing fine until Brandon Talton got hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, he was having a pretty good season uh, and he's been out for what, three weeks of counting at this point. So, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it hasn't been great. It hasn't been fun to watch, especially in the last few weeks. But I do think that there is enough going on and, and maybe the process of identifying who can be part of that next great Wolfpack team has been slower going. But I think you don't have to like squint too hard to see that some kind of progress at least has been, has been made even if the wins have been fewer and farther between as the season has progressed. Yeah. I would say too, it is interesting that the points per drive allowed is up as high as it is because they're, they're just in yards per play to give up 20 big plays. They're near the bottom in yards per play, almost six yards per given up. Yeah. So it is part of it where it's like, yeah, when points are getting close, they do better, which is fine, but they're still giving up points. But that was kind of surprising that they're top 30 when they're 5.8 yards per play given up because so many big plays particularly overall, almost 400 yards per game. I know totally yards, yards per play is not everything, but is yards per play is better, I'd say. But yeah, that's yeah, it. Per, yeah, per I, play, examining things on a per play basis does tend to get you a little closer mm-hmm. to at least to, to what I consider most valuable. Yeah, like yard, totally yards, who cares? Yards per game, whatever. But it is good. And what that tells me, the points per drive, it's like, well, when they get – there may be a whole red zone or hold a bit fewer touchdowns, but they just give it too many big plays. And mm-hmm. they're a team, obviously I think Utah State's clearly a team that's disappointed and surprising, not based on looking into, but what we expectations. Them and San Diego State are probably near the bottom end. But Utah State has, we stay at Utah State, but they're kind of the inverse of Nevada kind of, right, Matt? Because they've played well the past couple of weeks. Four-string quarterback with, uh, was it Blaine Davenport had to play last week. He could be starting this week. They played well versus BYU. They, I know they barely beat CSU. They 
versus Air Force and all that type of stuff. They've been playing well. Aztecs, we'll get to their position changes in a moment too. They've been because we kind of joked or kind not joke, but kind of after a couple of weeks, like, oh, maybe the standings are what they're supposed to be. And San Diego, San Diego State's three and three, but they are not doing what people thought they'd be. They're like, oh, they'll be great. And I'm one of the people who felt I'll, I'll forget what was your feeling on Brock, Braxton Burmeister. I was like, they prove it to me, and he never proved it ever. And everybody's like, oh, I mean, so I mean, I was I was willing to give the benefit of the doubt because even if he hadn't really put it all together at, at Virginia Tech, you know, there was enough film to suggest that you know if he could give the Aztecs you know that sort of maybe not flashy but but solid dual threat kind of performance that they were getting, especially in the second half of last year, then that would probably be fine. Like they didn't need him to be an all conference guy. True, but obviously, I never, you know, through, I never felt through five weeks he came way, you know, he was way short of that. I never felt it would be anything more than an Aztec quarterback. I still like Lucas Johnson, man. He's doing stuff in Montana, and so it's like, come on. Uh, so those are big, pretty big surprises. All the offensive coordinator firings, obviously, are a pretty big deal with New Mexico, San Diego State, and Boise State. The biggest surprise overall has to be UNLV, right? Yeah. I know the last weeks have been tough. But them scoring so many points, moving the ball. Because we remember they beat Idaho State, like, oh, 50 points, who cares? Like, I'm like, no, they never score 50 points against anybody. I still vividly remember the Howard loss with Armani Rodgers, and they settled for freaking field goals with, with the Tony Sanchez and lost that game. And one of the biggest upsets ever against the spread. And so they're my number one story, the best thing that's happened in the conference so far. Because it's always fun when you see these other teams that are never, ever good. And I know there's some issues. We'll get to the Notre Dame game coming up. But – they're by far like the best story in the conference. I think of how well they turned around. They're actually really good. I know the past weeks have been down, but they're so thin and not super deep for recruiting. But yeah, I really I mean, it's been fun to watch them play. And if you think back to how we talked about the Rebels during our preseason preview, like you didn't have to look too closely to see that something like this might play out. I think you know from what I can recall of our sort of breakdown of this team, my biggest concern was just how the defense was going to hold up. Losing players to Kobe Whitman. Yeah, and and while they've definitely you know battled the injury bug just as much as you know any other team in the conference to this point, you know I, I look back at how I projected wins and losses before the season, and you know I acknowledge that you know through the halfway point of the season they've already won as many games as I thought they would win all season. So, you know, from here, it's all gravy. And, you know, we, we've talked about it over the last couple of weeks, even as they've, you know, had lopsided losses to both San Jose State and Air Force, that if they can get healthy, the talent is still there. Yeah, I predict them at five and seven, looking at where my Cal victory is very close. We have five and seven. So, well, they're, it, I, my concern was they haven't done it. And then also, we didn't know who the quarterback was in the preseason, really. We felt, I think I think we felt reasonably confident because every time somebody came in, they played pretty well. And then there was one position losses last year, but losing Woodman and stuff like that. But yeah, they're a pretty good story. Um, I would say who would be because I'm putting together the list. It's probably out now, and our staff's looking at it. But who would you prefer, like offensive player of the year? Because I was going through, I'm like, well, this is an interesting list. I mean, I think we... right now, if I had a vote, I would probably give it to Brad Roberts. You would. I'm leaning that way. I and, and that's guys. mostly be, that's mostly because he shouldered you know one of the biggest workloads of anybody in the conference. You know, he's his workload 
on a per carry basis is, you know, maybe slightly lower than it was last year. It's one fewer carry per game. But, you know, you look at his numbers to this point, and he's got over 200 more rushing yards than, than Calvin Tyler Jr., who is second in the conference in, in total rushing yards. Yeah. And he's already got 12 touchdowns, which when you think back to last year, for as good as he was, he only had 13 scores last year. Mm-hmm. So they've, they've asked him to take on a lot, especially as the Falcons, too, have sort of had to navigate their own injuries. You know, Dean Kinnaman, you know, uh, you know, Kyle Patterson, guys like that have been, you know, in and out of the starting lineup all year long. So the fact that they've been able to turn to that element of their offense as consistently as they did last year and that it has continued to thrive, that's not just a credit to him. That's an credit to the offensive line as well. Well, they had. Um, yeah, I think it was, was came it? out. It came out earlier this year. This earlier today, rather. I yeah. think we're recording on, on October nineteenth. Isaac Cochran was a mid-season All-American from one publication or another, was he not? Yeah, Sporting News, I think it was. Or Athlon, I was yeah, looking at that earlier so. today. Yeah. So he, yeah, he, they're, they're really good. Let me ask you a quick question. Like, out of all, just I put this player on the on the list for preseason or not excuse me, mid-season play of the year. Who? Do, it's a running back, so we'll give you that clue. Do you know, unless you know, just tell me, do you know who's second in the conference in, in total touchdowns or rushing touchdowns? Oh, yeah. I I, know, I did this Your research man? as uh, <laughs> I yeah, Dedrick Parson. I told yeah, you I'm not like, to ignore him, man. I did not. I'm, look, I'm looking at the list. I'm like going through and like looking at yards. So I'm like, what, 10? That's, there's a reason also why Aggie fans aren't going to like it. I did not put Calvin Tyler on the list because he has one touchdown. Got to do better than that, pal. But I put Parsons on the list. I was, I was leaning between Shavon Cordero and Brad Roberts, but it's Roberts after last week's performance had to drop him out. But there's not a ton of guys on there. Like I had to go deep, kind of. I'm like, oh, I put Elijah Cooks, Brian Cobbs, who leads the conference in, in receptions. Mm-hmm. Only only one quarterback on the list. No other quarterback. I looked at Andrew Peasley, which is weird, just because his scoring numbers are pretty good. But I could I could not put him on the list for midseason player of the year. I could not put myself mm-hmm. on there to say Andrew Peasley, who I've bashed. He's had two games of throwing for fewer than thirty five percent completion rate. But defense, oh man, who would you put for defense? There's a lot of guys in defense that are good. A lot of guys put that's him on a, okay, and that's a much tougher conversation. Very, very because good. you know a lot of guys have performed well, but there hasn't been one guy that's really been the standout. In in, like, in 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 a way that some guys have been in, in years past. So, like for example, I think you could easily make a case for some more well-known guys in the conference. I know that um, I, I believe it was Chris Murray or someone else had their own midseason awards that they wrote about earlier this week. And you know, Billy Armand Pihoko was in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I would throw guy, under the radar guys or maybe less well-known guys, at least like, you know, Austin Ajiaki, UNLV. Oh, linebacker. no, he's on my list. Dude, he's there. He's on my um, list. Yeah. You know, Bentley Sanders with his five interceptions for Nevada. Uh, he might, Don might Peterson, be my guy. I would probably, probably put him in that conversation. He's in there, yeah. Um, but I think that you could maybe also consider some sort of less heralded guys. Like, you know, one guy I think is maybe flown under the radar, but when you when you think back and how many plays he seems to have made, I think about a guy like Hunter Reynolds from Utah State. Oh, he's, who, a, he's there too, know, yeah. Two interceptions and six pass breakups, you know, second most passes defended in anyone of anyone in the Mountain West. Mm-hmm. And by that same vein, you can consider other guys like, you know, Camby Goff with two, inter, two interceptions yep. and seven pass breakups. He's on there, yeah. 
you know, uh, Braylon Lux, if you want to throw him in there for Fresno even State. Jer- even Jarek Reed, who doesn't have picks, but he's knocking everything down that comes his way in the defensive backfield. Yeah. So he wouldn't be my pick, but he could talk about it. I'm like, oh, he's pretty good. So I, I don't know that I have like a very convincing answer. If I had, or rather, if I had to like vote for someone right now, I don't know if, he, if I would be a hundred percent confident in it. I think gun to my head, I would probably go with Ajiaki, not only because he's upped his tackles per game from last year when he was a tackling machine before his season got cut short by injury, but he also has three sacks, eight TFLs, and two interceptions too. Like he's one of he's been one of those guys that's done pretty much everything for that really resurgent Rebels defense. And so I think you know, when when you talk about how UNLV has really risen to the occasion this season, I think we need to start talking about a guy like him as being a major reason why in the middle of that defense. And it's step up for two guys who got injured and or lost the team. Like that was a big yeah. deal. Um Looking through, I he, I I didn't realize the interception set may put have me have me put him higher, but like I may as as leading Bentley Sanders, who was a midseason All American by mm-hmm. some publication as well. I forget what it was, but there's guys like Jack Howell, there's Muhammad Kamara, yeah. there's Easton Gibbs, Ezekiel there's Noah, yeah. Yes, well, shoot, I need to add my list. I have not sent it out yet. I have no. Am I wrong? Okay, I'm making this list here. Um, let me add Noah here because I forgot. Because when he plays, he's a killer out there. Is there a San Diego State player that should be on this list? Because I don't have one at the moment. I know Gio's no, no Skinner's Boise State. Sorry, apologies. She's not here because she hasn't played well and missed a game. Like, is there an Aztec guy that deserves not by name, but like by production? You think I'm missing? No. Okay then. No, right, and, and that was something I wrote about when I when I when I wrote up my grades for you know each team. It's. The Essex defense as a unit just has not played at the same level they did over the last couple of years. You know, I put it out there that in terms of your know, points per drive, it, for example, they're giving up basically an extra point per drive compared to last year. You know, last year they were seventh overall in the country. This year they're 75th mm. by that metric. And when you're, when that goes bad and your offense isn't good, it shows and that's why they're three and three. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are guys who are playing well. Let's say, yeah. like, you know, Jonah Tavai is having, I would say, another great year, even if the stats haven't necessarily added up. If you, if you, yeah, depending on how much you want to believe in pro football focus, um, you know, like their, their grades over there at PFF, like he's still one of the best defenders in the country. Like his PFF grade is 87.6 overall. That's 12 among all interior defenders. You know, and, and right behind Don Peterson, who we just mentioned a minute ago. So I think, you know, if you, if you look beyond the numbers, which I know is, is always hard to do when you're not always watching every single game, yeah, I think you could include even more guys in that conversation. But I think considering sort of those those big impact plays that really define what makes these award winners at the end of the year, you know, they, the Aztecs just don't have that guy right now. Yeah, it's it does. Yeah, it's looking through like, okay, who's making plays? Who's doing this? Um, we don't need to go like who's your best? Is it easily Marcus Arroyo coach right now? I would say so, yeah. Well, I'm asking you, what's a bigger surprise? We, I know we discussed it before, but I, I'm reading what I put down here, I'm still debating. Is it you? Is it's probably UNLV, but here's a couple I put in there. I put Rams in the portal, how many players they lost? Um, Hank Bachmar transferring, or the Utah State lost to Weber State. 
anything different or is it still UNLV? Like the biggest surprise overall? I think it probably would be, yeah. Still okay. I was making sure I was reading through a couple here. I was like, okay, let me see what else we got. So okay. All right. Anything else we do mid season? So any I haven't gone through best games yet. This will be out there by the time we publish, but what's like what best game? Oregon State Fresno is pretty good despite the loss. Anything else? Like what other like awesome? Does it games count as seen? does it count as a good game if the t- if the Mountain West team doesn't win? Well, I'm just that game came down the wire. That was an exciting game. I'm saying, I know it's your yeah, team, but that was an exciting yeah, game. Yeah, no, I'm just. Uh, but the I'm win, it's like I, I want to win too. That's the point. But I'm trying to think of like the best back and forth game. You had um, Boise had a great game for San Diego State. That second half that came back and just kind of threw them apart. You had I'm trying to think anything that were, the no more big, that I think about it, there's not really that many candidates. So I was thinking too, like no big P5 win this year, like no taking out the pack twelve, no beating Utah this year. No whooping up on UCLA or what Fresno did last year. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, been some like you know, there's been close games. Like if you want to consider like Utah State's you know win over Air Force, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, I think that's maybe the best example of a competitive game between you know two teams that were playing really well. It, you know, but by contrast, a lot of the close games this year have just been mostly sort of messy. You know, like Hawaii, San Diego State, CSU, Utah State. Yeah. Although you know what though, I would I would also submit Wyoming and, and Tulsa in that triple oh, overtime yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, there we go. That might be it. Yeah, it's a good one. I'm trying to see where else really quick. Just scrolling through. Yeah, nothing. Not, not that football. It just hasn't been amazing. Nothing that stands like all oh, this. No six overtime game. Head and shoulders above everything else. Yeah, there's been close games, but like I said, they've been bad. So BYU Wyoming was pretty good for about eighty percent of the game, but not couldn't get get mm-hmm. it done. So yeah, it's hard to find out. Maybe I'll skip best game. Is that a good, is that okay to do? <laughs> oh, I don't know. okay. Maybe we'll do that because it's yeah. I don't want to go through the garbage bin to figure out what's good and what's not. Not that they were, but like there's there's been fine games. It's just uh, I don't know. All right, let's get to this week's game. That we're moving on. We're meandering too much about this type of stuff. So right, we're it. in week week eight. Games going on. What's our first game of the weekend? What that we would be. Uh, Saturday, early Saturday. Oh, really? Uh, early? Uh, well, yeah. relatively speaking. I mean, Kidding. consider, you know, the last couple of weeks. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, 2.30 Eastern, which is uh, 11.30 Pacific, 12.30 Mountain, UNLV going to South Bend to take on Notre Dame on Peacock. Do you have Peacock, Matt? I do have Peacock. I get it free with my Xfinity Internet. Same with me. So go for that. They had a good deal where you could buy it for the year for 22 bucks. I signed up for it. Didn't realize I got it for free and they gave me a refund. That's pretty cool. Um, so it is you, a paid you, version. You sign up for it for the extended office episodes. That exactly too. Me and my kid, he, we haven't started watching them yet, but he's been into the office. I'm like, all right, we're going to start watching the extended one to start for season two or three. But yeah, just for the office. And there's some other decent stuff too on there. Some good stuff, but this game's on Peacock only. Um, 26 half point line in favor of the uh, Irish who are not playing well at the moment. Interesting note. I'm going over to our buddies over at fightingirishwire.com. Mm-hmm. Um, there is um, literally zero. R- we're, okay, recording this Wednesday night. So there's a little bit of time left. There is literally nothing about UNLV on, the, on their website. And they're playing the Rebels this week. They're all complaining about the Stanford loss from last week still. They might be, you know, I'm guessing they're probably saving their game previews for Thursday like we do. There could be, and I'm talking to, I, I sent an email to their guy, Nip Shipkowski. Gosh, oh shoot, what's his last name? It's a totally Chicago name. Um, I don't have it in front of me. I apologize to Nick there. We're doing a Q&A this week. 
Um, they do have like a few things like what needs to be done, emergency five-step plan, because, you know, Marcus Freeman's not doing great this year. They had their best defensive lineman transfer last week leading up into the, I think even before the BYU game two weeks ago, possibly. But this is a game where they're probably thinking, all right, we stumbled versus Stanford. They beat BYU at a pretty decent game. But right now it's like, I don't know. They're probably thinking like this is a chance to kind of get things going before they wrap up seasons. They still have USC down the road. I don't know the rest of their schedule, but their schedule is obviously gets a little more trickier down the road, I believe, who else they have. But they've just been okay this year. They haven't been amazing. And Marshall's a bad team. Stanford's a bad team. They, they're losing to them. I would say, look at, well, I'll get to, I'll get to my prediction now, but it's, uh, yeah, they got Syracuse, Clemson, USC, three ranked teams out of their final six. That's tough. Yeah. But, this team is not very good in offense outside of scoring versus North Carolina. Their best player is a tight end who's really, really good, but you're not going to do, I guess, pull Utah and have uh Don Kincaid go 16 for 200 and a touchdown or something all the time. But their offense is just, is just fine. They're nothing. They yeah, don't do anything special. And and that's really been the knock on Notre Dame for a few years now, but I yeah. think it's been especially so, uh, I would say, especially ever since their you know, starting quarterback coming into the year, Tyler Buchner got knocked out for the rest of the season uh, yeah. a couple weeks in, I believe. So they've been rolling with Drew Pine and he's been, yeah. you know, he's been all right. He's completed 66% of his passes, you know, 10 touchdowns. But, you know, at the same time, this is not an offense that you would necessarily call explosive. You know, that tight end you mentioned, Michael Mayer, mm-hmm. you know, is leading the team in, in receptions and receiving yards and, and touchdowns. Yep, pretty much everything. <laughs> yeah, it's, but, you know, other than that, they don't really have, like, a huge threat in 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 the passing game. They don't really have anybody else who can stretch the field. The other sort of major option in that regard, Lorenzo Styles, you know, 21 catches, 275 yards, but only one touchdown. Yeah. And then they, you know, as a team, they only have four different guys, but at least 10 receptions. So maybe you want to say that that means they're spreading the ball around a little bit. Not really. But it also, but they aren't also like throwing the ball all that often. You know, they've, they've tried to be balanced. I think, you know, when you look at, you know, the rush rate over expected, for instance, you know, it's, it's, a you know, about 6% above what you would expect in any given scenario. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, they have a pretty decent, if not necessarily game-breaking running back duo in Audrey Esteem and Chris Tyree. You know, those two guys, yeah, they've combined, you know, six touchdowns. They're averaging about 100 yards a game between the two of them. But what has really made or, or broken this team throughout the year so far is, what their defense has or hasn't been able to do because you know, you look at last week's loss against Stanford and then you remember, okay, well, they only gave up 16 points to the Cardinal. You know, the, the only time that they've really been pressed on that side of the ball was against North Carolina back in late September. And North Carolina has got like a pretty explosive offense. Yeah. they're pretty and, good. and yeah. And, and basically no defense to speak of whatsoever. I saw, I saw the app state game like everybody else did that. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you know that I think is where the rebels are really going to have to start thinking about you know if they're going to win this game and if if Brumfield if Doug Brumfield is still unavailable, looks like it. Last last I've heard, 
Yeah, still day to day, still in the, I believe, concussion protocol. So, you know, there's a chance he might play, but I would guess that he will probably miss at least another week. So if that's the case, then they absolutely have to get off to a faster start than they did last week against Air Force. Yeah, that's it. And, if they had Brumfield, I would give them – well, if they're healthy, like if Kyle Williams is fully healthy in Brumfield, I'd be like, yeah, I, I honestly, not no joke, could take UNLV to win outright in this game if they were fully healthy. We've seen what UNLV's offense can do when they're out there with their starting quarterback, with their key players out there. I know they have – you've been mentioning defenders they have and all these players. Like, they have teams, but without Brumfield – they look what they scored the past couple of games. They could not score any points. And I'm not no way I'm picking them to win. The 26 and a half is another story. But when you when you're when you scoring what seven points, what was it, seven points last week? Not even 21 points the past three games. Is that correct? Yeah, 14 points yeah. for the past two games. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, it's a problem. Brumfield is, of course, maybe the most important cog they're missing, that they have yeah. been missing. But you know, Kyle Williams has been limited over the last couple of weeks, too. And I believe in looking at the most recent depth chart that he is likelier to be back maybe not 100 percent, but probably pretty close um so you know having him back their number one option is is gonna be a big boon to them but i think the the number one key for the rebels in this game is they they have to slow down the notre dame pass rush yeah which is not something that the rebels have always done particularly well throughout the year even when the offense was humming you know, as a team, the Irish have a sack rate of 7.9%, which is 23rd in the country. And it's not like there is one person that they're going to have, that the Rebels are going to be able to focus on to be able to shut down. You know, they have, you know, two two uh, players, I'm guessing they're brothers, uh, Jason and Justin uh, Ademilola, who, so. you know, they have two sacks apiece. Isaiah Bosky has three sacks. Raleigh Mills has two sacks. Jacob Lacey has two sacks. So, you know, we, we knew coming into the year, Marcus Freeman, the head coach, is a defensive guy. And he's at least been coaching him up as about as well as Irish fans, I would, I would wager, would have expected. And it, if that front seven can get their hands on on Cam Friel or Harrison Bailey or whoever ends up under center, if they force that quarterback into mistakes, you know, for as sort of limited as Notre Dame's offense is, it's still not the kind of team that you want to give a short field if you can, if you can at all help it. Yeah. So like, what do we, yeah, I don't know how the, I guess if we, I don't know how they're going to keep close in this game. Like I think it'll be sort of close. I think, I don't think it's going to be a huge blowout because Notre Dame can't score points. I know you, you know, these defense hasn't been good the past couple of weeks, but look at who they've been playing. Like San Jose state can score points. Um, Air Force could score points two different ways. Here's here's a big key. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in addition to like limiting turnovers, I think it's going to be just as important for you and let me to get back to forcing turnovers too, which is one of the major differences between these two teams. Of course, you know UNLV has been you know very adept, at, especially at you know picking up interceptions. Did you realize Notre Dame has just two takeaways this year in six that's games? Very good. That's that's terrible. And that has really been one of those things that has betrayed them in pretty much uh, most of their losses this year. Like, you know, they have a, at least one turnover in each of their last five games. They had three in the upset loss to Marshall. They had two last week against Stanford. 
And so I have to think like, you know, if they can force Drew Pyan into mistakes and, and set themselves up with short fields, then it becomes a matter of, you know, being aggressive on the road as a big underdog. You know, I don't think for as good as Daniel Gutierrez is going to be, I don't think he's going to let them down if they do decide to sell for field goals. But I think if you get the opportunity with a short field and, you know, a fourth down situation where, you know, maybe it's like fourth and three at the 12-yard line or something like that, I think if you're Marcus Arroyo, you have to give a lot of thought to putting the pedals to the metal and, and going for the jugular early if you can. I think, yeah, definitely try to get ahead early if possibility. But I want, one thing as well, we haven't mentioned, we'll get to it. I guess we'll wrap it up here. But I think also Aiden Robbins has to have a good game. Like yeah. He has eight touchdowns in the year, runs pretty well. With the quarterback play not being ideal and depends how healthy Kyle, Kyle Williams is, they have other guys too receiving. But I would think Robbins would need to help alleviate the QB. And we're hoping by three, week three of starting, Cam Friel will be fine. I know he's listed as or with um, – oh, Harrison Bailey. Harrison Bailey. I'm of the current Tennessee quarterback, not the uh, one they have right now, Bailey. But I think maybe assuming Friel is going to get most of the start. I know Bailey played a little bit last week. But I think if Robin helps out and if Friel gets more comfortable, there's a chance they can keep it around this game. But I just think Doug Brumfield, he's too big of a player to be missing this game for a win. But – Besides it being 26 and a half points line, what's the like FEI and SP, SP plus and all that stuff say about this right. particular matchup? Yeah. So they all pretty much see Notre Dame as a big favorite. Um, SP plus likes the Irish to give them a 90% win probability projected margin of 22 points. Uh, FEI is largely similar. They like the Irish by uh, 21.8 and uh, Parker Fleming at stats. war on Twitter his advanced stats preview gives Notre Dame a 97.05% win probability projected margin of about 33 to 7. What's your projection? I do think that UNLV will be able to land a couple of body blows. I would definitely take them to cover the spread. Mm-hmm. But I do think at the end of the day, Notre Dame is likely to come away with a fairly comfortable win. I'm going to say 24 to 14. Okay. I'm not, I'm kind of your same neighborhood. I'm going 28 to 10. I just think the the way the defense has been playing, they've been giving up points lately. But I'll ignore, I think Notre Dame's offense is not as good as Air Forces, different than San Jose State. May, comparable, whatever, athletes, who cares? But I just think it'll be about – Assuming even if Brumfield plays, he comes back at this moment, being gone for a couple weeks, it'd be hard for me to pick them out. Right? Had he been playing and say UNLV was one on one the past two weeks, and they're sitting at five and two, yeah, I could possibly pick the upset. But I'm going twenty, yeah, twenty eight to ten, and it won't be just will be just a mad game where Notre Dame kind of gets out to like a reasonable lead and kind of walks away with it because UNLV's offense can't do much without Brumfield. Yeah. Next game, Hawaii. At Colorado State, Matt, this game's at 2 o'clock local time, 1 o'clock Pacific. Um, 10 a.m. Hawaii time, by the way. 10 a.m. Hawaii. Sorry, I didn't, I'm sorry. Apologies for not getting there. Um, what, like, wait, what network is this one on again? My, my, close my page. It's on uh, Spectrum Sports Pay-Per-View, which means oh, that you're going to want to have your, uh, your Team sorry. One Sports <laughs> app ready to go. <laughs> Like desperate inside, like oh crap, that's right. They get one main, at least one mainland game here. Like, what? 
Give me a reason to want to want to watch this closely. Not, I would like a reason of why I should get into this game. You love Mountain West football. Okay, I need more than that for this particular game. I'm sorry, we're in week eight. I need a little bit more, I think. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so then, okay, I'll, I will give you one reason for both teams. Which team Dedrick Parsons. Dedrick Parsons is a good reason, so go with Hawaii. Yeah, I mean, I think that the draw for Hawaii is, you know, are they going to be able to, you know, basically keep their momentum going? Because, you know, they had a close loss a couple weeks ago against San Diego State. Last week, they were able to, you know, flip the script and come away with a win over Nevada. And so that, I think, is really where you start thinking about this game is, especially on offense, can they keep the momentum going? You know, last week, I believe on a yards per play basis was the most productive game of the season. And, you know, while Parsons is definitely, you know, one of the biggest reasons why, one thing I think we haven't really talked enough about is that, you know, getting Zion Bowens back turned out to be a really big deal, too. You know, over the last couple of weeks, he's led the team in targets in, in both contests that in which he's played. And, you know, though he's only played three games on the year, he's already back on the team lead in terms of like re- receiving yards. You yeah. know, 14 catches, 197 yards, you know, 14, you know, 14 yards a catch, already with two touchdowns too. And so I think if you're looking for, you know, sort of excitement in this game, how how are they going to end up defending him? Like who is Colorado State going to put on him? And how will Hawaii deploy him to be able to attack a Colorado State defense that, you know, I guess, you know, over the last couple of weeks, they haven't really given up a ton of big plays, but they've also been playing against offenses that, you know, between Utah State's quarterback injuries and, and Nevada's sort of, you know, increasing dysfunction on that side of the ball, or maybe arguably a tiny bit more limited than Hawaii might be. <laughs> I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So that's that's my answer on that okay. on that side of the ball. Okay, I'm just 
these games, like, I get it. We're going to watch these games. We're going to tune into the game too, goes on. But these two teams, like, SP plus their bottom five. Um, is there, um, but getting Hawaii healthy could, man, that might give me a good reason. Like you mentioned with Bowens and with, um, Schrager back there and Parsons playing well. Cause we mentioned they're basically about halfway. They're performing a little bit better than we thought compared to the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. And so what also big news is that it looks like Clay Millen is going to be back for this game. Um, like, okay, at the moment, likely to return. And if he comes back, he's, I know they've been dunking it. Get, he's getting what seventy? Is he still at seventy percent completion rate? Something around that range. Oh, but yeah. they they're basically giving him like a because the offensive line is not very good. They throw super quick passes, and so with him being back, that's interesting to see. He's one of the best freshmen in the conference this year. Missed past two plus games. Um, this might actually be an opportunity for him to have time to stretch the field. You would think so because Hawaii's defense isn't going to really attack as much as others or be productive attacking. Yeah, I mean, they have not generated the same kind of havoc that a lot of Colorado State's opponents have to this point in the year. They have six sacks in seven games. Let's put it that way. And granted, they've been a touch better over the last couple of weeks. You know, half of that production has come in the last two weeks against, against you know, the Aztecs and the Wolfpack. Mm-hmm. But that is, there's not really anybody on that defense other than maybe John Tuio Tupo. Um, you who has three sacks on here, half of that you know, pass rush production. There isn't really anybody else that should scare that Rams offensive line, even with all the shuffling that they've had to do. Um, you know, they actually just had another lineman, you know, Ches Jackson enter their transfer portal this week. And so, you know, that's another sort of piece off the board, I guess you might say. But it seems like maybe they could find some stability. You know, or, or rather that they have over the last couple of weeks. And maybe more importantly, they've also found Avery Morrow, you know, someone who can give them a reliable ground game as well. That is something else that Hawaii is more often than not struggled with throughout the season too. So that is, I think, is another potential thing that Colorado State could exploit in the same way that they did, especially against Nevada a couple of weeks ago. And we also should mention the Rams are somehow five-point home favorites. And notes also interesting in this game, the over-under is one point less than Nevada UNLV at 46.5 compared to 47.5. Mm-hmm. I think both defenses are bad enough. This might actually be get a lot of points this matchup. Because if Millen's back, if, if he, like you mentioned, if he does have time to throw, like remember, the Rams have some really good – they throw the ball when they can complete passes. I'm just saying when they're able to do that. Because the past two weeks, they, they were completed about 45% of their passes. Mm-hmm. And they have a guy like, you know, Torrey Horton, pretty big weapon. If he gets back, go, if he can get going for with Clay Millen slinging him the ball, because we look at what he's done the past couple of games, he had, was he hurt last week for she just takes? He had no catches, or is that just a bad game for him? I don't recall. Yeah. I mean, they didn't really get a lot of opportunities to throw the ball accurately. Okay. You know, Pooler was only, I believe, 11 of 32 in that game. So, yeah. I just look at the past couple of games, like he had nine catches versus Nevada, but zero Not versus for lack of effort. Let's put it that way. Oh yeah, that one. I remember was he had like twenty targets or something in that range. Like he got mm-hmm. about. But so I was just trying to pit, put a picture together, which I'm apparently yeah. a fan. And I do think halfway. I do think you're right about that. That both quarterbacks, both Millen and and Shager, could mm-hmm. potentially have an opportunity to step up, especially since in terms of sort of the traditional stats, both of these secondaries have shown a propensity to get picked on 
Um, you know, they're both allowing an opponent's completion rate above 60%. Hawaii is at 61.5. Colorado State's at 62.3. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and both have, are at least, you know, at, at or below the conference average. Or maybe not. And now that I look at it, Colorado State has actually only given up 6.7 yards per attempt. And that's third in the conference. By contrast, Hawaii has given up 7.6, which is 10th. I think the, the danger for both teams is especially if they both get time to sort of attack down the field is avoiding sort of the you know, avoiding unnecessary mistakes because that is one thing where Hawaii may have a potential advantage. You know, they only have six interceptions on the year, but they're still fifth in the conference with 28 total passes defended. Yeah. So, you know, there, I would say that there's a potential X factor there depending on which secondary can get their hands on the most footballs or, or play the tightest coverage to give themselves that kind of opportunity to maybe create a turnover. Yeah, we'll see. I I like I like that everybody's getting more healthy because that makes it more exciting of a game. It'll still yeah. be almost a pill, not a pillow fight, but it'll be this game will be competitive, but maybe one of those games we talked about before, like, well, it's competitive, but maybe not exciting or good. But I do think we look who has the better players, like you Parsons, look at offensively Parsons for Hawaii. You have Horton for CSU. Better I don't know, man. This is going to be an interesting game, even though maybe I'm talking myself into it to watch more with all these guys coming back to see what they can do. So what are the advanced numbers say in this particular one? Because I home team seems likely where I'm leaning to this game, which is the Rams. No, no, I mean, none of them are overly convinced. Um, they all so, favor so Colorado right. State to varying degrees. SP Plus likes the Rams. They give them a 53% win probability, projected margin of 1.3 points. Uh, FEI has the largest margin uh, between them uh, at 7.3 points. Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives Colorado State a 50.31% win probability. Um, so, I mean, since it's 50-50, it's basically calling a pro- projection of about 20, 20 to 20, basically. It's a coin flip. So what do you think is going to happen? I think the Rams should be able to hold serve at home because I think if Millen is healthy and he gets the start, I'm not totally sold on Hawaii's ability to get pressure on him. And we've seen enough, we've seen glimpses of what this Rams offense could be. You know, I think particularly what was at the third quarter against uh, uh, middle Tennessee, where they came to life and scored what three touchdowns in that quarter. Yeah. I think like that. we'll see a little more of that. I think it'll be a back and forth game, but I think the Rams will come out ahead. I'm going to say 31 to 24. Okay. I think I'm going to go 30 to 20 for CSU. All right. That'll be just enough, just enough to get business. So, all right. Where are we going next year? Is it San Jose State, New Mexico State? That is correct. 4 p.m. That Mountain is. Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on flowfootball.com. Oh, boy. Um, that's okay. Spartans, 21 and a half point favorites. Um, the Aggies are coming off a uh, victor, dominant victory over the rival in the Mexico Lobos last week. We've talked well, okay, about let's the, the breaks down. I don't know if I call it dominant. Scoring why, well, was it 21 to 9? It might be too, it might be loosely using the word dominant at this point. I would say okay. so. 
Okay, can I say a comfortable twenty-one-nine win? Yes, I will. Okay, allow, comfortable. I will allow comfortable. For some, okay, to be honest, for some reason I thought it was thirty-one to nine, not twenty-one to nine. So there's my little hiccup there. But but when you look at what they did last week for New Mexico State, they played obviously a Mexico team who's not that good at the moment. They're better, but not good. They're settling for field goals, so the Aggies' defense held them there. Even though one of the field goals was like a forty-seven yard, or two of them were forty plus. They slowed down that uh, Lobo offense, which honestly, eh, not very difficult. So again, this will come down to not come down to Spartans probably should win fairly easily. Three touchdowns might be, I don't know how, how I feel about that, but if you're going in that perspective, if Spartans are going to cover, they need Kyrie Robbins to have a huge game, not a huge game, but what eight is 80 yards big, good enough for you to say that he's back for this week. That's a good game. Yeah, I would say so. I think if they're going to win big, they need him to do. Minimum 60, probably 80. Because that's the reason they they struggled when, again, it's the same every week. When he doesn't play well, he only has 340 yards in the year, but he has five touchdowns, which is offset that a little bit. But that area of the game where if he could do something good, they're going to win and win probably handily when they when that happens. But when he doesn't, he could have a bad game but still going to win. It just might be like a 10-point game if he has like 24 yards on the ground, which wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility because he's had two games of under three games of 40 yards or less, including last week versus Fresno State. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's especially true considering that the Aggies, even despite sort of stepping up their ability to create havoc over the last couple of weeks, they're still 127th in the country with an 11.5% stuff rate allowed. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so San Jose State should be able to get more push up front with their offensive line. And I would contend that that is the key to this game because we just saw that Fresno State was able to really bully them around. You know, five sacks, 11 TFLs in that game. Mm -hmm. And when you look at what New Mexico State has been able to accomplish over the last two weeks, even though they've split those two games against the Lobos and against Florida International, you know, that that is where I sort of raise my eyebrows because they had nine TFLs against Florida International, eight against New Mexico. And in terms of generating a pass rush, that sort of ticked up a little bit too. They had three sacks against FIU, four against UNM. And I think that it really starts with containing, you know, the stars that they have uh, in that front seven. You know, Chris Ojo, who we already knew could create a lot of havoc. You know, he was the team leader in sacks last year, you know, with, with six sacks. He had 16 TFLs and he's been that same kind of, you know, d- disruptor this year too, seven TFLs and four sacks in the first seven games. He's had company up front too. You know, Lazarus Williams has three sacks. Isaiah Reed has three sacks. You know, Trevor Brohard next to him at linebacker has four TFLs. So they've shown a little more of an ability to clean up effectively against the limited offenses over the last couple of weeks. And so I think if San Jose State is going to bounce back, that's really where it's going to start. You know, it's going to start by, you know, being balanced or at least if if they want to take the same tack that they did last week against the Bulldogs and and try and put the game in in Cordero's hands, Mm -hmm. they just got to get a better pass protection than they did last week. Yeah, that's clearly got to be, but I don't know if the, I don't think the Aggies can do enough damage there to make a difference. They might. They'll probably get back there here and there, but I just don't think there's going to be enough. Like looking at what they've done and even the Mexico game, I know that's way different quarterback for Miles Kendrick compared to Chevron Cordero, but I just 
don't think there won't be enough of what disruption they want to do to be able to get back there to cause it to be more than a minor inconvenience for the Spartans offense. Yeah. And what's really interesting is when you look, when you look at what San Jose state is likely to want to do, you know, they're likely to want to throw the ball early and often their rush rate over expected is actually, you know, 9% below the average, um, which, you know, that means that they're, they're throwing the football early and often, and they've often been pretty good at it, at least at generating explosive plays with, with Cooks and Justin Lockhart and others. But when you look at, you know, what New Mexico State has done to this point in the season, they haven't really faced a team with that same kind of offensive philosophy to this point in the year. You know, you, like, you know, Nevada, Minnesota, UTEP, Wisconsin. I mean, you know, UTEP might be in that conversation because, you know, they like to stretch the field, even if they don't always do it effectively. And then, of course, Hawaii, FIU, and New Mexico. And the Aggies have been sort of up and down in terms of their ability to defend the pass. You know, even last week against the Lobos, they allowed Miles Kendrick to complete 63% of his throws for the season. They're allowing opponents to complete 62% of their passes, roughly seven and a half yards per attempt, eight touchdowns. And I think more importantly for the Spartans, only two interceptions. I would imagine that that bodes well for what they're ultimately going to want to try and want to do, which is, you know, force the issue down the field, you know, come up with big plays, you know, maybe find a big touchdown down the field through the passing game and use that to set up Kyrie Robinson in the running game. Yeah, I I think they'll be fine. They're, they're ultimately going to be fine in this game. There's not going to be any two unless something weird happens, like fluke defensive plays or the turnover margin gets out of out of whack for some reason. Spartans are going to win, so I I got them comfortably taking care of business. But what is what is like SP plus and those guys kind of lean? How big of a lean are they toward the Spartans? Who are again road game, which eh, it's a little bit tricky. So uh, SP plus likes the Spartans. They give them a seventy seven percent win probability a projected margin of about 13 points. Uh, FBI also likes San Jose State by uh, by a little bit more. I guess I would say 25.1 points. Mm-hmm. And uh, Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview, gives the Spartans a 95.16% win probability mm-hmm. with a projected margin of about 35 to 12. Checks out. So what do you got? Uh, they're going to win 40 to 12. I'll go. I'll keep that twelve number. They'll get a field goal. No, I don't like the twelve. I'll go forty to thirteen. A pretty convincing victory. I'm going to go a little bit lower scoring. Okay. I'm going to say 31, 31 to fourteen. Okay. Oh, okay. That's reasonably in the close. Next game: Fresno State, New Mexico, three thirty Pacific, four thirty in Albuquerque University Stadium. FS2, folks. FS2, because, you know, that game called Baseball's playoffs are going on, ALCS. NLCS apparently is a thing. Mm-hmm. You already noticed, look, looking at these games, Matt, every game has been decreasing in the over-under over under total. How is this game? I know it could be more New Mexico than Fresno State. 40.5 point over-under in this matchup. That's uh, quite low. A little bit. I know Fresno's still rolling with Logan Fife this week. So like, there, first off, there's no reason to bring back Jay Kaner just because why when you're playing the Lobos. 
But I would say this game's pretty big if the Sp- or not Sp- sorry, the Bulldogs are going to get back to bowl eligibility because they're sitting at two and four. If that's a possibility, which we'll see, like this New Mexico game probably should be done. They got San Diego State. We'll see Hawaii. Yeah, it's it's still in the in the cards. Up, not super easy, but playing out playing in Albuquerque, playing Lobos is a big thing because this will allow for you know a confidence builder, partially for this particular game. Because I know the Lobos defense has been better. That could be the one sticking point of this game if Rocky Long and Danny Gonzalez can kind of figure out what the uh, Spartans. But remember, Spartans are getting like you like we mentioned last week. Jalen Cropper's back. I know they saw a fife out there throwing the ball, but there's too much firepower, I think, for the Lobos to have overly be overly successful and like we're going to stop this guy. I don't think it'll be enough. I mean, I think a lot of it is going to depend on how well. Versus State can handle New Mexico's pass rush. Yeah. Because they, they, you know, the Lobos don't have a Joey Noble type guy this year. But, but they have had instead a handful of guys who have been really important to sort of that attacking style of defense. So on the, on the one hand, you know, they do have, you know, their defensive end, Justin Harris, who has three and a half sacks on the year. You know, including two against the LSU, you know, in, despite the blowout loss the Lobos had. But, you know, they also have Rico Hanna and Cody Moon, both of whom are linebackers with three and a half, TF, uh, three and a half sacks as well. That is something that we have seen Fresno State struggle with here and there throughout the years, their ability to keep their quarterbacks upright. And, you know, if they can put pressure on Fife, I mean, we've seen three straight games where he's thrown at least one really inexplicable interception. Yeah, I think you can give him high marks if you want to for at least being accurate. You know, you know he's appeared in six games. He has 91 uh, pass, pass attempts, so maybe a small sample size. But he's also completed 69% of his throws to this point in the year, so... While the Bulldogs' offense hasn't been quite as explosive as it was with with Jake Hayner under center, like when the when he's been able to take care of the ball, the offense has been okay. It's it's a little more methodical than it than it would be otherwise. Problem is, he has just the one passing touchdown and five interceptions, and the latter is exactly the kind of thing that New Mexico can exploit. And then the question from there is. You know, we saw in, in week one under new offensive coordinator Keith Rittenauer that, you know, you know the more <laughs> things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. You know, they had a, a nice little start in the first quarter of that game and then offered absolutely nothing for 45 minutes. You know, can they generate anything at all on offense? You know, still a unit that's 127th in offensive success rate, according to Parker Fleming, 32.1%. They, you know, it's not an offense that generates a lot of quality possessions, not an offense that's particularly good on third downs, you know, moving the chains on those money downs. They got to get something, man, because Just if it. the defense gives them, if the defense gives them opportunities, gives them short fields, they cannot settle for field goals if they want to pull an upset in this game. Yeah. Cause it's not what we've seen for thinking that way. Like, the defense is good enough. Like they're middle of the pack in the country in sacks. So I think they're, they're 15 and about 65. 65th mm-hmm. overall, but without Jake Hayner, Fresno's offense, 20 points versus Boise, 17, yeah, win versus, versus San Jose State, 
only 14 to UConn. They have not scored more than 20 points since they lost to Oregon State. 17, 14, 20, 17. They're mm-hmm. not a scoring offense. And so, you're right, if Lobo's defense can get pressure on Logan Five, they can slow down Jordan Mims running the ball, they can get on Jalen Cropper. Like, if they can, defense will probably do their job, but you're right, if they get field goals, they're not going to win. They need to stop Fresno State's offense, which, honestly, like I said, if you look what I've read off, just on points, that's basic, not even going deep diving in for other advanced numbers, but they're just not scoring the ball very well. Lobos, they have to get a couple touchdowns if they're going to try to win this game. They can't go kick a 30-yard field goal, stuff like that. they got to convert third downs here and there. The offense has to give them something if they want to have a chance in this game. Yeah, I mean, you know what's interesting? One thing that both of these teams have in common, amazingly enough, they have two wins. Kidding. What do you know? <laughs> Zing, first of all. Um, no, that's not really what I was thinking of. But, you know, when when they've been able to move the ball on both sides, both offenses, it's largely because they've been successful moving the ball, moving the chains on early downs in particular. Interestingly, the Lobos are fifth in the country in terms of the first downs that they've earned on first and second down, 77% of the of their first downs this year have come on first and second down. Okay. And Fresno State is actually second in that same regard on offense. 78.2 of their first downs have come on first and second down. Problem is, you know, when they've gotten behind schedule and, and facing third downs, neither offense has been particularly good on that front. Like, you know, Fresno State, Technically, is still third in the conference you know, with a with a conversion rate on third downs of thirty six percent, thirty seven percent. But that's that's still down from where they were last year when they completed forty two percent and were fifth in the Mountain West. And and that even that is still better than what New Mexico has managed at this point in the year. Like the Lobos are next to last in that regard, twenty three percent on third downs. So, you know. You know, there, there, there's huge differences between, you know, the sort of the functionality of, of these two particular offenses. You know, I think I may have mentioned this during the last preview podcast we did, but I'll just mention it again. You know, available yards percentage, you know, New Mexico is 130th in the country, you know, only earning 26% of available yards per drive. You know, Fresno isn't great by that same metric. They're, they're still only gaining 41% of available yards per drive, 93rd in the country. But whichever team sort of gets off to that fast start, you know, gets those big plays on first and second down, you know, considering the way both of these defenses have played, you know, I, I guess at least in, within recent weeks, you know, last week in particular for the Bulldogs and for the most of the season in the Lobos case, you know, it could be a little bit of a chess match between Kevin Coyle and Rocky Long. Possibly, and that's that could be a different aspect in this game, but I, I expect the first state offense, or excuse me, defense to be fine against this Lobos offense. So I'm like, yeah. I mean, I think that's the scenario. likeliest scenario. I, yeah. I just, I, I thought that was sort of an interesting comparison because, oh, it is. you know, they, they both had differing degrees of struggles but when it has worked, it has worked because they've been successful on early downs. Yeah. So what do the advanced numbers say for, for in favor of Fresno State? So SP Plus likes the Bulldogs. They give them a uh, 74% win probability, projected margin of 11.2 points. 
FEI also likes the Bulldogs uh, by a roughly similar margin, 14.3 points altogether. Uh, Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives Fresno State a 71.94% win probability, projected margin of about 25 to 17. Okay. Um, let's see. Sorry, my, I have a phone call. I have to ignore it. It's buzzing. Uh, sorry, what was your score again? 25 to 17? That was the projected score. From, oh, sorry. What was your, oh, what, oh, what was your score? Apologies. I thought you said that was your score. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think I'm mostly on the same page as you. I think it'll probably be a defensive fist fight. But I do think that, you know, Fresno State has shown a little bit more, even despite the struggles under Logan Fife under center. May not be the prettiest game of the weekend, but I do think they'll come away with a win. Uh, Fresno State 21, New Mexico 10. Okay. Uh, I'll go a little bit more. I'll go 34 13, uh, 30 to 13 for Fresno State. I think they'll score just enough, a little bit more because Lobos, they can get past Lobos defense, I think. All right, and because the Lobos offense won't move the ball, so field position probably will lean toward Fresno's area. So at some point, they'll get a couple short fields. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, Boise State Air Force, probably the game of the week because this teams are always... uh. You know, they're pretty good. Ace Games on CBS Sports Network, 5 p.m. local time in Colorado Springs for the Falcons. Air Force is a slight three-point favorite to this game. And do – Boise was – okay, this might be dumb me not looking. Boise is off last week, correct? Yes. Yes, that's right. Okay. So thinking about what they've done, they've had – this is a dangerous game because look what Dirk Cutter has done with short week, new quarterback what they've done the past little bit. Now he's a week off with most likely Taylor Green being the guy at QB of, of I assume, po- mostly. But also what we see, like Kalani doing the well, Gently doing, running the ball well. They beat up on Fresno State. The defense has been what we expected, like you mentioned or a couple weeks ago, I believe, during the Aztecs victory. The offense mm-hmm. has come alive, and all it took was, hey, maybe we'll do maybe do a Boise State dip before, like, you know, put guys in motion like to do a lot, which they haven't done before in the past, you see, like the past two years under – Tim Plows, what whatever is whatever the offense you want to call has not been great. Mm-hmm. I but I do think the biggest difference has been Holan Holani, the running game, which I've said forever, get those guys going and they'll be fine. Offensive line more more specifically. But that's the reason there's going to um have success in this game. I'm not gonna trust the quarterback play for the Broncos to I'm not gonna say, hey, Taylor Green or maybe even Sam Vidlock if he's gonna get in there and throw the ball a bit if he does. Go in there and win the game for me. They're not going to be the different. They're, they're the reason they could lose the game, but I doubt they're going to be reason reason they're going to come out and they're going to beat Air Force because of the quarterback play. 
it's really so all of a sudden sort of a fascinating strength on strength kind of matchup when you when you're thinking about sort of this retooled Broncos offense that has relied more on the ground game since you know making that coordinator change versus an Air Force defense that you know we, we talked about it in past weeks how the, the pass rush has been sort of uh, non-existent for the most part. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that they have they haven't been very good at defending the run. You know, line yards per carry, for example, they're, you know, 39th in the country, 2.45. You know, their stuff rate is comfortably in the top 40 as well. You know, 21.2%, which means, you know, one out of every five plays, they're pushing the opponent backwards or, you know, stopping them for no gain. And they've also been one of the best teams in the country in terms of short guarded situations. They're second overall in that regard, 28.6% when there's like one yard to go. Yeah. And so I think, you know, when Boise State comes into Colorado Springs with this sort of retooled offense, I'm thinking about, well, how is that going to work? Because that is sort of an area where Boise State has really improved over the last couple of weeks where, you know, they're right outside the top 40 in terms of line yards themselves on offense. And, you know, that all of a sudden that ground game has gotten a lot more explosive. You know, I've mentioned opportunity right here and there on these in these previews, which is essentially like their ability to get running backs to the second level, you know, past the full, past four yards or so. The Broncos are now 11th in the country on that in that regard, 53.7%. And as I just mentioned a minute ago, where, where Air Force is really good at stopping teams in short order situations, that is an area where Boise State has actually excelled. You know, they're actually 10th on offense. You know, coincidentally, that's like one thing that both of these teams have in common is they're both really good at converting short yarded situations. And so I think, you know, this could be even more of sort of that limited possessions kind of game than you might have expected it to be coming into the year where, you know, you might have thought that Boise would have a more balanced offense. They'd be a little more adept at throwing the football. But, you know, that trio of, of green uh Hawani and Ashton Genty is going to be really important for, you know, not only setting them up to stay on schedule. So that way they're not battling a lot of third and mid third and long situations, but you know, that offensive line is going to be up against a, a maybe an underappreciated air force defensive front. That's been really good at, you know, denying those same opportunities. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. I think, you know, we mentioned earlier Brad Roberts. He's a, you know, he's pretty good, right? I believe. Yeah. Running the ball. Um, I do wonder because this game's always, I know Boise State's won major, most of them lately, but these games, not, neither have been blown. They've been all been reasonably close. And, and, and we know this, we hear stuff about Air Force all the time. So it's dumb to say, oh, run the ball option, fullback dive, all that great stuff. Here's the thing, though. Boise's rush defense is really good this year. Like it's the best in the conference on a per play basis mm-hmm. yard for every most metrics. They're at the top. Like if you look at their, like the worst game they had was week one versus Oregon state or no, sorry, UTEP apologies. That loss probably still burns the retina, but they've been given up like Aztecs. You have a good running game. Stop them. Fresno state stopped them under hundred yards, under three yards per carry overall. Uh, I said, Oregon state game. That's the only game where it, they really kind of gashed them. Like even UTEP, it took them 54 carries to get to 199. Like they were still only 3.6 per carry. They it took a million attempts. And Air Force is going to have to have their patented breakthrough 10 yard run, 20 plus yard run, multiples of those to do this. And I think that's going to be probably one of the biggest differences in this game. 
like Aldridge or Roberts or Zeke Daniels, does he need to throw 12 times? This is where the if the running game, which it will break through, we understand it will at some point, but like how well will break through and will it be enough of a threat to, well, Zeke Daniels will go downfield to complete three or four passes for like 160 yards or maybe 100 yards is more realistic, honestly. That's still pretty good. But I'm wondering, I just, they're familiar with the defense. They play all the time. And we mentioned like looking at like elite players, like we were going through the, not the uh, all conference, like mid season um, guys for, for the conference. Boise mm-hmm. State doesn't have anybody besides Noah. Okay. He's number tied for, I guess, technically 11th, the six at or six TFLs, but they don't have what, like they had the one dominant dude, but that's about it. They have like DJ Shram who has like four and a half TFLs, but there's not a super uber dominant guy who's like eight TFLs besides uh, Noah. There's kind of a uh, more of a team effort, I would say, with a couple yeah, well, of standout guys. Y- yes and part. no. That's what I'm trying, I'm uh, trying yeah. to walk around. I'm like, yeah, but. Because, you know, George Charles has really come on strong in the last few weeks as well. You know, he also Good has point. six yes. TFLs. And you, you oh, mentioned DJ well. Shram. You know, Dimitri Washington. I think the, the trick, which is we're sort of talking around this. Yeah. Especially, especially with regards to Brad Roberts and, and Air Force's interior linemen, which includes, you know, the aforementioned Isaac Cochran, who we talked about very early in the show. This is a big opportunity for the guys in the middle, like your, your Jackson, your Jackson Cravens, your Scott Matlock, you know, Herbert Gums. You know, they've been decent like they, they've been relatively productive like you know matlock has two and a half tfls gums has, has two tfls himself but you know they cannot get pushed around and and leave you know noah and shram behind them to clean up messes at the second level like they've got to plug holes in and bottle up roberts as best as they can which is something that they struggled to do last year you know when when i think roberts had tw- i believe he had 29 carries in this game a year ago I'm looking at SP. Yeah, last year he had 28 carries for 138 yards and two touchdowns. And Air Force won the game by seven points. If they want to flip that script, it's going to start on the interior of that defense. And so when I look at, you know, early down expected points added, you know, I don't know that I have a succinct explanation for that. Basically, long story short, you know, Air Force is 18th in the country on offense in terms of early down expected points added on defense Boise State is third so to your point about the Broncos having a really good defense especially in terms of defending the run yeah you know that those early downs their ability to knock Air Force off a schedule is going to be critical so with Boise let's flip it down so Boise State being mostly a would you calculate and not calculate, but consider them more of a running team at the moment for the, yes. the past couple of weeks. So that's going to be like flip the rounds. Like I said, if Boise is going to win, the running game's got to be, be obviously do well, move the ball, whoever it's going to be with Helani or uh, gently back there. But I think air force's plan would be, Hey, let tail and green throw and throw it on the field and beat me. Let Sam Vidlock, if he gets in there, let them throw. Like I mentioned, it's going to be, Almost the same defensive style, not style, but same game plan. Both teams want to stop the run. Boise is a bit different where they want to stop the big running play. But I think Air Force, would, if I were them, I'd want to attack 
and and run blitz all the time and force green or somebody to throw and beat me, beat me. And I don't care. I was bringing the house, bring pressure every time and maybe have only five guys covering the pass four to five guys to like have one, just have one more guy. If there's three receivers. Okay. I'll only put four guys out there, maybe three where they have the advantage up front to do not let them un, under any circumstance beat me running the ball with Helani or anybody else. No, I, I think mean, that's your game plan. I think you're, you definitely have a point, especially considering that it, I'm still not convinced that Boise state has anybody who can stretch the field consistently. Is that so? Yeah. You know, you, like even even their nominal lead receiver, Stephen Cobbs. Do you real? I didn't realize this. Do you really is he averaging under eight and a half yards per catch? Yikes! That is not good for the guy who's supposed to go for Khalil Shakir. Not good. Yeah, they have they have five players so far: Latrell Cables, Billy Bowens, Cobbs, Halani, and tight end Riley Smith, who have at least ten receptions. Only one of them is averaging more than nine and a half yards per catch, and that's Bowens. Mm-hmm. Which I think is going to be really interesting to watch in this game because you know, th- this is not a passing game that has proven to be terribly explosive. Like they have exactly one more explosive play, you know, one more 20 yard play through the passing game than New Mexico does this year. Let's put it that way. Yeah, um, and, and granted, they played one fewer game, but that sort of puts it in context. Um, you know, let's put it this way for us, for as rough as Colorado state has been, Colorado state has three more 20 yard pass plays than Boise state does. What? Yes. I would not never, never guess. The Rams, that have, really the Rams have 16 and six games. Boise state has 13. So I think to your point, you know, that is, I think, that, and, I, and I'm sure that the coaching staff is aware of that and green has been, you know, fairly accurate. Like he's completing 60% of his passes, which is good. You know, the fact that he's only averaging 5.9 yards per attempt so far is less mm-hmm. good. Yeah. The fact that he also has a two, you know, two touchdowns, three interceptions is also not very good. You know, he's just, he has not been all the way there as a passer yet, but I think that there will be opportunities here for him to take a step forward because I think, especially if they use that ground game to set up play action, that, could be those junctures where, you know, if, if they send someone down the field and they ask Green to make that, you know, 40-yard connection, you know, his ability to do that or not do that, you know, once once or twice in this game could be a very big deal. Oh, definitely. All right, so what are the, what are the big-time numbers say? What do we got here? Because the Lions okay. Air Force by three. So uh, SP Plus does like the Falcons. They give them a 58% win probability, projected margin of 3.4 points. Uh, FBI also likes Air Force by 7.7. And uh, Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview, gives the Falcons a very slim uh, margin, uh, 54.57% win probability, a margin of about 31 to 29. 31. Yeah, it's going to be a close one. I'm I'm going to lean Air Force just because I think they have overall, like, I trust them a little bit more. You know, Boise's been playing pretty good. This could be, a, I think, the it's going to be a lower scoring game. Like, it projects at 47 and a half. I'm going to go 23-17 for Air Force. I think it's going to come down to the wire. Yeah? Yeah. But I, I think Boise State will be able to pull it out. Okay. I mean, I think both defenses are going to come to play, but I do think both offenses are efficient enough 
that they'll be able to land a few haymakers each. So I think it's honestly, it might just be the last team that has the ball that was going to win this game. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Boise State 31, Air Force 28. Okay. All right. Next game, Utah State at Wyoming. Battle for uh, Fort Jim Bridger's rifle. Let's see Fort Bridger, which I've been to many times, but Jim Bridger's rifle. One of the this best would be my pickest game of the week, by the way. You think so? Why is that? Because uh, it's a loser leaves town scenario. Both of these teams are still fighting for position, both still okay. alive for the moment in the Mountain Division race. But uh, you know, the, the, whoever loses this game is going to have two conference losses. The, the winner is going to be chasing Boise State one way or the other. A lot at stake for both sides. That's, that's fair. And also, I wish you know, four and a half point favorite, home favorite for the Cowboys, seven forty-five local time. Um, my guide here doesn't tell me what TV channel. Well, how we how we watch this is game. also Fox Sports Two. Okay, FS Two because you know baseball. Why is it covering two? Wait a minute. Fox is on both baseball series, right? Isn't one on like Turner or something? Or no, one of them is on TBS, I believe. Okay. Then why is it why are they both on FS2? That doesn't make sense. Whatever. We're not gonna deal with it now. It's getting we're getting long here. But the big the big question about this game is who's gonna start a quarterback for Utah State? Mm-hmm. Because Cooper Lagas suffered the uh, concussion. He got hit down, they got like uh, on the slide like two plays later. And then you have Levi Williams who I still don't know how he played those multiple plays on that ankle where he could clearly not walk or even put any pressure on it. They're technically listed as day to day. So it could come down to, uh, was it Blaine uh, Davenport who got the Bishop start came Davenport. in? Or excuse me, Bishop Davenport. Apologies. He had the one rushing touchdown, came off the bench as QB number four, QB number four for this team. And he helped to get the win. And they actually do have a fifth quarterback on the roster. Um, Garrett Larson. Coach? Larson, yeah, I didn't see a lot. I didn't see it first name. Larson there, so like he better be ready. Um, I'm want like Davenport didn't play amazingly well, but it could be a scenario where, like we've talked about before, oh, you come in and get hyped up and you do just well enough to win. Then when you actually play in practice, you're like, oh, yeah, that's why nothing against him as a freshman, but it's like that's why you're at an adept at this moment in time in your career. You're not ready for this moment. And so that's going to be interesting to find out if he does start how well he can play. And he's like he would have Calvin Tyler Jr. Jr. back there. He has um, the receiver Cobbs who leads the conference in, re- in receptions right now. So there's talent around him. But I, man, if him get, he getting the whole start against a Wyoming defense, you think Craig Bull is going to have a good time planning for potentially a true a freshman quarterback who barely played? He's going to try to have a Phil Day confuse the crap out of him. Well, you know what? You know the easiest way to avoid something like that. What's that? You, you feed Calvin Tyler Jr. That's what I'm saying. That's what, yeah, you got and, the running and back. You, and you feed Robert Briggs. You make sure that those two guys get at least 30 carries between them. And and that if Davenport does end up it does end up being the starter, which I'm sort of assuming that he will be, we saw him have some success running the football as well. So yeah, I think if you're – Yeah, so if you're Utah State, I'm thinking that you were probably considering a very sort of ground-heavy, I guess you might say Wyoming-esque kind of attack in this game, especially since, you know, Wyoming has been – okay on defense but it is also true that when teams really want to run the ball against this off against this defense they've been able to 
you know, you look at, you know, the, the Illinois game and the Brigham Young game in particular, both of those teams averaged over six yards of carry against this Cowboys defense. And, and even Air Force and, and New Mexico had some successes running the football, uh, in, in their, in those respective games. And so I think, you know, if you're Utah State, one thing that you have been able to account upon, even despite, you know, the injuries at quarterback is the offensive line has been pretty good this year. Like it hasn't been like, you know, that sort of, you know, top shelf, like Air Force-esque, you know, you know, diesels kind of unit. But, you know, they've been solidly above average in terms of their ability to generate running lanes. They've been able to protect the quarterback. And I think, you know, if you're looking to try and keep at least a little bit of pressure off of Davenport, assuming he's the starter, then I would I would think that they're just going to look for ways to sort of incorporate, you know, you know, read options to, you know, keep the ball in his hands that way, get the ball to Tyler, you know, quick outs to Terrell Vaughn, maybe you give him a fly sweep or two, see what he can do with it, you know, get the ball to, to Cobbs in space on a wide receiver screen or something like that. I'm sort of envisioning that Utah State is going to take a little slightly different tack to try and beat this Cowboys defense because, you know, they, they've had playmakers, you know, they have playmakers, but they're, they've definitely been beatable this year. And I think especially if you're, if you're looking to try and keep, you know, a, an improving Cowboys defensive line from, from bearing down on their quarterback, you know, that's something I think that, you know, Wyoming fans, if they're looking for an advantage in this game, you know, I look at the fact that they had six sacks last week against New Mexico. Mm-hmm. They may find it harder to turn that same trick against a much better Utah State offensive line. Yeah, it's a bit different, right? <laughs> what you're going up against? Yeah, and so you know, I think it's it's definitely a, another potential sort of strength on strength matchup because you know the young guys that Wyoming has has put out there all along the defensive line. You know, and we like we haven't talked about Cole Godbout that much, and some of that has to do with the fact that he you know he was out last week. I believe he's he's not listed on the on the depth chart for this week either. But they you know they had sophomore Gavin Meyer step up. You know, Caleb Robinson's been in the in the rotation along with Jordan Bertignol in the interior. And then they have that trio of defensive ends who, you know, at a minimum look like very good bets to be headaches for the next two or three years throughout the Mountain West. You know, Braden Siders, Oluwaseo Matosho, Devon Harris. You know, those three guys have combined for 11 and a half sacks so far this year. You know, they're, they are on the upswing. But I do think that Utah State might be able to find a way to neutralize that especially if they just choose to lean on their running game instead. Yeah, I, that's it's going to be it's a, it's a, it's easy. Like Utah State don't they don't want to throw the ball more than probably what 15 times? Mm-hmm. Like why would you yeah, want to but risk I, but I, and it, and it's, it's impossible but it's impossible to quantify but like if Davenport is a starter I I, I do not think he's going to be able to survive a moxie in the same way they did against the Rams last week. Oh no, Rams! Like he, he's going to have to be better overall as both a he runner was, and a passer. Three of nine, he was sacked once. He had what forty-one yards, and when he ran, he had—I don't know if all. The, sorry, I'm looking at the season-long stats. Love him for twenty-nine, but I think that's every. I think yeah, that has to be all his numbers he has all year. So he, he's yeah. You can't just. It's like I said. Like yeah, come out, you get pumped. Okay, we're out there to play. Just. They probably gave him a handful of plays to run because why give him so many plays when again 
I guarantee if he had five reps in practice with the first team leading into that game, I'd be shocked last week. Mm-hmm. Him taking all the first team reps, obviously a big deal to get used to those players. He's like, who's your, yeah, I know you're my teammate, but I haven't thrown the ball to you maybe on the side when we're just screwing around. Like he literally does not know his first team offense players until this week. He was never, ever, ever practicing with them at all. They may be mixing occasionally, but he's, he is too. When, when Logan Bonner is around, fourth string QB, he's getting no reps. He, he, and I doubt his scout team quarterback, unless they're like going up against Air Force a bit because he ran 11 times. And so maybe he was a scout team guy for then. But his experience is going to show against a, a, a veteran defensive team coach, I should say, with Craig Bull and what they're, what Wyoming well, typically does defensively. They're going to want to fool him. They're going to want to just attack and tack and just, run blitz and blitz every time and play single coverage, that might be the best option because there's no way he's going to beat that. Now, I still think Utah State, Utah State has a chance, but I just I just don't see it. I, like, unless he comes out and surprises everybody, I just don't think he'll have enough, enough moxie to get this win. Like, he may have a couple plays, but I just – assuming he starts, which it looks like he's trying to because Levi Williams' leg looked pretty banged up when he could barely walk on it. And with Agana, and I don't shoot, I don't have the depth chart. Does this not show what did Blake Anderson do this week? Did he, did he play games or did he actually put Davenport as QB one? Well, there was a quote I believe from the from the Deseret News. Lega is still number one. Williams is still number two. Davenport is third on the depth chart right now. I believe the exact quote was, "I'm going to roll with whatever quarterbacks I have." Which means neither guys are starting. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which means we're Williams. not going to – I mean, we're, rec- we're recording on Wednesday. We may not know until Friday whether they're in game shape or not. I mean, you sound, you sound very uncertain about the Aggies. But I think you're forgetting one very big thing. What else am I missing here? Come on. You're, you're missing the fact that Andrew Peasley has progressed over the last few weeks. Oh, reg- did you say progress or regress? Regressed. Oh, they said progress. I'm like, what? No, he has. I get that, but you're not wrong because he's what 20 something 30% last week or something. Let me see. 47 10 of 21. Yeah, he's something completed, pretty okay, bad. for the year. For the year, he's completed 54% of his passes. 53.8. Yeah, not good. But true. You know, after stringing together those three games, you know, back in September where he completed over 60% of his passes. Against BYU, San Jose State, and New Mexico, he completed 50, 51.9%, 30%, and 47.6. And to his credit, he does have six touchdowns and one interception in that stretch, but he has also just not been as efficient. He hasn't been as accurate. And, and he's been sacked whole, five times in those games, too. Yeah, I mean, as a whole, the Cowboys' defense has just been not as strong in the last few weeks, you know, they, they had, they barely cracked five yards of carry against the Lobos. They were under five against both the Cougars and the Spartans. And while Peasley is, is one culprit, you know, even guys like Titus Swen have not been as effective over the last few weeks too. Like, you know, Swen averaged over five yards of carry in three of the first four games. But in that, in this same three game stretch that I just mentioned, he's been under four yards of carry despite having a similar workload and he hasn't found the end zone once. And so I, I look at this game and I think to myself, okay, well, you know, Wyoming is dealing with, you know, some 
moderate injuries. Like I know I haven't seen Emmanuel Pregnon, you know, the right guard listed um, on the depth chart this week. And they've been okay on the aggregate, but they could, yeah, but Utah State could pose a problem in this game because while the pass rush has is, is sort of perked up in the last weeks in particular, one thing the Aggies have been very good about is, is getting after the running game, getting into the backfield. You know, I think I may have mentioned last week, they, they have a very strong stuff rate, still 15th in the country, 24.5%. And that could be a very big problem for a Wyoming offense that hasn't always been able to you know, move the ball, let alone finish drives. So what are the base numbers say for this particular matchup then? So, i got to scroll down a touch. Sorry. Okay, so sorry. Uh, so SP plus likes Wyoming, not by much though. Fifty three percent win probability, a projected margin of one point four. Uh, FBI also likes Wyoming by a narrow margin by one point seven. And Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives the Cowboys a fifty eight point eight two percent win probability, projected margin of about thirty to twenty seven. That's too many points, man. I'm going 16-14 Wyoming. There's not going to be many points in this game. I'm going to take Utah State to win this one on the road. Oh, win the rifle. Yeah. Keep the rifle. I'm going to say Aggies 24, Cowboys 23. Okay, down the wire. It's going to be a slugfest. All right, final game of the weekend. Lowest over-under, not a shock. San Diego State at Nevada, 7.30 Pacific there in Reno. Aztecs are a touchdown favorite. Over-under is an Iowa-esque 36 points, Matt. Yikes. Is that too many? Is that too many? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're tempted to take the under, huh? Yeah. I Have you seen these teams play football? <laughs> I, I Regrettably, I have. <laughs> um, the big news is... San Diego State has decided Braxton Burmeister really likes to play college football, which is great. And it's funny what somebody put on our Twitter because he's going to be wide receiver this week. Mm-hmm. He's moving away from wide receiver, and they're going with uh, Jalen Maiden, who safety quarterback, quarterback I guess quarterback high school safety now quarterback who had pretty good game a couple weeks ago. Did he crack three hundred yards passing two weeks ago? First, uh, he did. Okay, so here's a funny thing: somebody goes, "Oh, he wanted to be on the field." Braxton Burmeister, and I make the joke, the obvious joke, Matt. What do you mean? Wide receivers get playing time and get the ball for San Diego State? Come on. What are you doing? Nobody gets the ball for passing in that offense. So I made that obvious and lame joke. But that's a big deal for the team making this change. And I do wonder, again, if Maiden's the guy who comes in and has that one big game because, oh, I'm coming to play, I'm getting my start. But he does get the advantage of a week off and practicing more at the wide receiver, or excuse me, the quarterback position. Because he did throw for 322 yards last week, a TD completed two thirds of his passes. Um, I don't know. How, I know Nevada's not great, so he'll probably could have defensively he could have a pretty good game. But I'm just wondering if there's any drop off for a guy who's been playing defense all year and took like a handful of snaps last year, quarterback to now being the full time guy. There is a lot of unknown and uncertainty about him not playing position over the past however many months or even years. At quarterback since high school, essentially. Yeah, and I and I think the the one big difference between Hawaii and facing Hawaii's defense and facing Nevada's defense 
Nevada has been much better about getting their hands on footballs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about Bentley Sanders at the top of this podcast as the defensive player of the year candidate. But it's important to remember, like as a team, they have 10 interceptions. And so I think, you know, if they want to be aggressive about throwing the football to guys like Jesse Matthews, Tyrell Shavers in the same way that they were last week, you know, they may find it, it is not quite as easy to do so against the Wolfpack secondary. Alternatively, though, they might be tempted to do it anyway because Nevada doesn't necessarily have a particularly strong pass rush. And so I could see them trying to take the same tack that they did last week, but I could also see them trying to take the ball out of Maiden's hands a little bit and trying to attack this Wolfpack defense on the ground because that is really an area where the Wolfpack have continued to struggle, I think, especially more so over the last few weeks. You know, I think about the Air Force game in particular where the Falcons ran for over 450 yards, over six yards to carry. Um, and, and even Colorado State a couple of weeks ago had, um, had their way on the ground too. Like the Rams averaged over five yards carrying that game. And Hawaii nearly accomplished that beat too. So I think to myself with that in mind, yeah, it's, it's tempting to sort of give a lot of attention to the new quarterback. But it would also be just as easy to envision the Aztecs falling back on their usual habits and just handing the ball off to, to Jordan Berg and asking him, okay, break one for us. Give us a seven or 10 point lead that our defense can hold. You think that's enough points? 10 points is all they need? <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm going to pose the same question to you that you posed to me talk, you know, talking about this game a minute ago. Have you seen the Wolfpack play offense recently? I've seen them play football together. I'm like, I'm not even to a towel. I'm losing luster on who's been 17 D's is fine, but I, yeah, you're, I just, man, here's the thing. I leaning Aztecs. I think they can take care of business. I just, yeah, you're right. The way no, here's what, here's what actually I'm going to phrase that. If they're going to, if the bat is going to win, it's not going to be, it's obviously not because they're off. It's because Don Peterson or state their top safety or other players make, Aztecs offense do nothing, which is a possibility, and and win like in a rock fight, thirteen to ten. Like I could see this game again. I'm not kidding. At thirty six, don't know. There no nobody nobody scoring eight. Nobody scoring twenty points in this game. It's not going to happen. But I think if the Vat is going to get the win, like yeah, I, I know they need Nate Cox to do something. Maybe Tortal has a decent game, but it's. I know the Aztec defense isn't elite what it was because Boise lit them up. They had a bad second half in that game. They're having a, bad, a guy who played defense, played quarterback. Nothing looks good for San Diego State. The running game hasn't been good the past couple weeks. But still talent-wise, they have more talent than Nevada, clearly. I think if if I'm going to make the case for Nevada, like I said, it's going to be Don Peterson defense and Toa Tau having like, can he get 80 yards on the ground? Have an okay running game? Above average, that's how they can get this get a victory here. They're at home, so that's a little something there to consider. I just I still trust San Diego State more because talent and what they've done the past couple of years. Like Ken Wilson hasn't been a good good coach. They've been trending very, very wrong and backwards since they started off. What were they two and zero? The start of the year when they got wins over um where they beat first couple weeks. Uh they beat New Mexico State and Texas State. That's right. Sorry, I might scream as loading slowly. Incarnate Ward, they got shut up by Iowa, 48 points allowed versus Air Force. The Hawaii Hawaii scored 31 points against them. Hawaii did. Like, 
I think Hawaii's offense might be a touch better than San Diego State. Maybe if I'm being generous, they're the better running back so far. But I, man, I don't know. I, I think I still lead in the Aztecs, but it's going to be a close one. That's seven points. I'm like, maybe, but just it's just because more distrust in Nevada than how much I trust San Diego State if you're looking at that perspective. So, so you know how I mentioned, you know, early downs, expected points added for earlier for one of the other games? Yes. That is also something that both of these offenses have in common. Problem is, it's not in a good way. <laughs> okay. But, but that leads me to believe that whichever team has more success on those early downs is going to have a major leg up in this game. You know, in terms of, you know, expected points added uh, on early downs, which I'm assuming is first and second down, San Diego State's 123rd on offense, and Nevada's 127th. So they're not good. So they're not good. <laughs> so, but I do, but I think that that means, like, if if it ends up being you know trading a lot of punts for most of the game, one crucial factor that definitely could play out in San Diego State's advantage is the fact that they've benefited from really good field position on both sides of the ball. You know, on offense which I think is mostly a credit to Jordan Bird, you know, their average starting field position is at their own 32-yard line, 30, their 31.8-yard line. That's 23rd in the country. And it's been even better when they started their drives on defense, you know, which is with the 10th best field position in the country at, at their own 26-yard line. And that is a credit to, you know, the guys on the special teams, you know, like, you know, Jack Browning, who we haven't really talked about, but he's been a pretty good replacement for, for Matt Ariza. You know, he's, I believe, second in the in the conference right now in yards per punt. You know, he's been an asset, you know, it, to maybe not to quite the same record-setting extent that Ariza was last year, but he's been, you know, right in line with, you know, the guys who held that job before him. And that's exactly the kind of thing where, like, if, if San Diego State gets even the slightest lead, they might be happy to play that field position game because they might have the confidence – that Nevada can't string together an 80-yard drive for a touchdown. <laughs> a really field goal. No, I mean, course. they they might fall, they might choose to play that game. Like if, if they get out to like a seven-nothing lead, let's say in the first quarter, and then they trade a couple punts, you know, the field position gets tilted slightly in their favor. And then all of a sudden Nevada's starting, you know, two, three, four drives in a row at their own 15, their own 12, their own 10-yard line. What do you think that's going to look like for the Wolfpack? considering that they've struggled all year long to string together drives consistently. They're, that Aztec defense is good enough, and the Wolfpack offense is bad enough to where it'll look like that Aztec defense is really good, if that makes any sense. There you go. So does any of the advanced numbers say it's over 36 points for the combined score? Uh, you know what? I couldn't tell you. I well, okay. So SP Plus does get projected scores. They do project San Diego State with a 57% win probability, projected Whoa. margin of 3.2. <laughs> uh, projected score rounded off to 24 to 21 to answer your question. Interesting. They, they see Nevada's getting 21 points. That's generous from Bill C. <laughs> um, SP Plus also likes the Aztecs uh, by a similar margin, 3.3. Uh, I believe that more. I believe that margin is uh, sixteen point five to thirteen point two. So that is a uh, under point total of twenty nine point seven. Which, in a cursory look at these projections, is uh, that is safely the lowest of the weekend. Yes. 
Uh, Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives San Diego State a 78.42% win probability. Uh, I love this projected margin, though. 14 to 3. <laughs> I'm going to go we, we've been, I've been reading off a lot of these projections all year long. I'm, I'm almost certain this is the lowest one I've seen all year long. Three points. I was going to say a, a quirky scoring goes 17-12 San Diego State. I mean, there, there was like, I think it was the, the New Mexico LSU game a few weeks ago where I think yeah. New Mexico was, they were projected for like one point or yeah, something like that. But I've never so seen such a projection <laughs> where both teams have such a low score. Oh my gosh. I'm going to stick with, I'll go weird 17 to 12. Why not? A lot of field goals for Nevada and a couple for San Diego State with one touchdown. But not going to cover and the over under is toast under by far. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a pretty uh, – like you're going to want to caffeinate to stay up for this one if you're planning to watch the whole thing. San yeah. Diego State, 16, Nevada, <laughs> 6. 16 to 6. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that does it for this week. Ending on that awesome game that's – it's football, but we'll see. It'll be, for the it'll dedicated. Be yeah, for the dedicated. I will I may scrub through this in the morning. We'll see how much I watch at night, but I'll get to the game to see what goes on. But that's it for this week. Extended with a bit of a midseason kind of recap, what's going on. But check us out, mwr.com. Read your read match piece you put in. Do you know how many words your thing was? Because it's quite many from what I can tell from reading through. Uh, it's today. at least 6,000. I can tell you that. Go read all 6,000 plus words that Matt wrote about every team. Grades compared to expectations. So go read that. Read all of our other previews we have going on right now for the week. Um, we'll have some picks out later as well. Bold projections from earlier in the week. I did. Um, I did put Boise in the in the Kimmel Bowl. So I did. Here's the funny thing about that. I get complaints like, oh, they're not the right bowl game. I stick them in the bowl game. People want to hear nothing. But like, come on, you want it? <laughs> I give it to you. Is. You want to complain? That's all of this. Well, people, you know right? what? Though that's a psychological thing. People always remember the negative more than the positive. So don't take it personally. No, I just find it always funny, ironic. Like, yeah, I put them in the potato bowl because yeah, they're not great. They're on the upswing a little bit. I want one more game. I'm not looking for credit here, but it's just I just find it humorous that it never. You're right. When you pick the thing that they want, it's like, oh, cool. But when it's what they don't want, it's like if you go to a good restaurant or hotel, you never complain. You never give glowing reviews half the time, but it's always the bad ones. Like, okay, I'm gonna go tell my friends that this whatever hotel or restaurant wasn't up to par. You never go say this is the best place ever unless it was like literally amazing. So I'm that's fine with just, it. That's okay. just being a college football fan. That's just being a human. It, I know. I'm just saying everybody's being human, but that's it for this week. Week eight preview in the books. We'll be back in a couple of days to recap all these games. And yeah, it's, it, we're halfway through what we've gone, gone through this season. Rematch recap of the first half. Like I said, check out as many games as you can. And I guess, uh, should people subscribe to Peacock to watch the Notre Dame UNLV game? I think you can yes. get a free trial. No, I'm sorry. They don't do the free trials. I've been there. Oh, that's disappointing. You know what, though? Subscribe for a month. Just break out through all those uh, all those Office Superfan episodes. Trust me. Uh, you, if you like The Office as much as I do, you will not be disappointed. And it's what, five bucks a month with ads? I believe Something so, like yeah. That. So, so, yeah, just go, go, sp- go spend five bucks. Do, watch do it for a month. Yeah, come on. Also... Here's another note. Not that I care. Actually, uh, when does World Cup start? Is it end of November? Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I was going to say something because Telemundo has a Spanish language right. You can watch the World Cup on there, but you there may you not go. be able to get the whole thing. So you can watch part of the World Cup if you keep it for a month. 
Just don't subscribe until Saturday morning for the game, I guess, to get exactly. all that stuff. But that's it for this week. MWR.com. We'll be back next time. And again, let's, let's just, um, you know, hope your team wins and score lots of points. That's what we want to see. <laughs>